0: Hello and welcome back to Franklin Covey's newest podcast called C-Suite Conversations with Scott Miller. That's me, your host. You might recognize my face or my voice as the host of Franklin Covey's other podcast called On Leadership with Scott Miller. Now the world's largest weekly leadership podcast. Four years, 230 plus episodes where we took something away From the first four years, where we learned that the most downloaded, listened to interviews weren't always the big Hollywood celebrity or the most famous author. They were oftentimes people like you and me, people like our guest today that had achieved amazing career success. Some bruises along the way, a couple steps forward, maybe some steps back, but that were relatable that we actually could learn from their career journey and employ those learnings in our own. And our guest today is the Chief People Officer at HP. Her name is Kristen Ludgate, and she's joining us from a very bright and cheery office today in the greater Twin Cities area, of Minnesota. Kristen, welcome to C-Suite Conversations.
1: Thank you so much, and and I'm really excited to be here. Thanks for inviting me.
0: It's our honor. I can tell you, you do have the brightest background of all of our guests, which I find (laughs) quite intoxicating. So summers are great in Minnesota, and winters are great in Palo Alto, where HP is located. Hopefully, you'll get a couple of business trips out west when the the weather changes. Kristen, delighted you're here today. We're going to talk about All things related to developing people, building a culture. How do you build an enterprise that's enduring, that's also uh, an appealing employer of choice for people post-pandemic, if you will. You've had a remarkable career. You are an attorney by education. You spent a decade in higher education. And now you are back in the for-profit world. You had a great career at 3M. In fact, you actually had a fascinating kind of pivot in, pivot out, pivot in at 3M, which I think a lot of us can relate to prior to now being the chief people officer at HP. Would you talk a little bit about your journey in and out and back at HP? And what are some of the lessons others might learn from when they choose to make some changes, perhaps very deliberately or maybe even accidentally? What did did you learn that would be interesting around your time at 3M?
1: Yeah. So it's been a real interesting career, Scott, as you said, and and I've been known to take a full hour to answer this question. So I I will not do that to you here this morning, but I I spent 10 years in higher education when I got out of school. I I then went to law school with a toddler in tow. I had a baby while I was in law school, had a big law uh, career in a private law firm, and then wound up at at 3M as an in-house attorney. and the first time I went to 3M, I, I I got there and the job wasn't quite right. And this can happen sometimes. It turned out what they needed was different than what they had been offering me and different than what I was interested in. So I went back to private practice at my law firm. I tried to pivot my practice a little bit from litigation to corporate transactional M&A. 3M called me back, um, I don't know, about maybe about a year later and said, hey, now we've actually got the job that we think is a perfect fit for you. Would you be interested in Coming back, and I went back. And in, in that role, I was uh, started as a full time labor and employment lawyer, and I got to do a lot of other things. I was a business lawyer, I worked on privacy issues, I worked on all kinds of corporate projects. The phone rang, somebody said, Hey, Kristen, um, would you like to be the first general counsel and head of HR at a private university in St. Paul? And of course, I'd worked for in higher ed, and I'd been a lawyer. There are not many people with that background, so it made sense while they were calling me. I went there. I was general counsel and head of HR at a university. It was a mistake. It was a career mistake. Mm -hmm. Nothing on the university. They were wonderful. I found that I completely missed being in a large global enterprise and actually that I had fallen in love with business. I, I just missed being part of a large organization, a global organization and happily 3M called me. And as we all these days call our alumni, right? As part of, part of kind of the cycle of careers people have, they called me and said, boy, Kristen, we sure hope you're happy at the university, but a colleague of yours is going to Asia and we wanted to check and see, if, you know, if you'd have any interest in coming back. And I went back to 3M in 2008. I got in um, right before the great, you know, financial crisis of 2008, 2009. I, they, there was a complete hiring freeze about a month after I got there and and I went back as an employment lawyer and from there got to do many different things at, at 3m Scott so so I was chief employment counsel in that role I worked with the comp committee of the board then I was chief compliance officer where I reported straight line to the audit committee chair of the board bill over in the legal organization for for day to day after that uh, 3m said hey we'd like to broaden you out they sent me over to my first HR job. It was an SVP job, very large job, running all the business partner and and global teams. And along with the compliance job really where I spent a lot of time outside the US traveling. From there, um, 3M's then CEO invited me to join his team, so part of the 3M C-suite team, but not in legal, not in HR, as head of communications and enterprise services. About four months into that, Mike Roman, who would become the new CEO of 3M, asked me if I wanted to be 3M's CHRO, head of HR. And so I was part of the CEO transition team, and I started my job as CHRO at 3M on the, on the same day that Mike Roman started as CEO. And so I got to work on the CEO transition for my comms chair, and then I got to work on the onboarding from my HR chair, and then on the transition out of the executive chairman model and then spent three years as CHRO at 3M doing what all great CHROs have been doing um balancing the future of work organization effectiveness talent and oh oh, by the way taking the company remote in the middle of a pandemic and so it was an incredible career and i i honestly didn't expect to leave we can talk later maybe about my decision to to go to HP as chief people officer but it was really a fantastic um place to have a career and I was so lucky, as you can tell, the people that I worked with along the way who kept, kept me in mind for opportunities and gave me these wonderful chances to, to keep trying to get the right career journey that worked for me and worked for the company.
0: Well, first of all, that was a riveting story, really well told. And I want to rewind to something you said that I thought was profound. And that was you used the word you never hear from someone in leadership, let alone someone in the C-suite, and that is... I made a mistake, irrespective of that fine institution, you actually said, I made a mistake. And I think that's an important important level of latitude that you're providing our listeners and viewers to say, all of us make mistakes, including in our careers. As you look back, without talking about that institution or the the details, thank you first for showing the vulnerability to use that term. First time on this podcast, by the way. Secondly, what are some of the learnings from that mistake you made that might help other people that are lured into that same track be be mindful or thoughtful of?
1: Yeah, so Scott, it's interesting that you say that because I tell this story a lot, you know, when I speak to a group of employees, and they always like on Zoom, I get little heart emojis when I use the word mistake. <laughs> So it's interesting that you also cued onto that. So I always say it was a mistake, but it's not something that in hindsight I regret because there's always, you always learn. I would say a a couple of things maybe I would reflect on. I I think there was a little bit of nostalgia involved in my Mm -hmm. decision, which Mm -hmm. is, I had this career in higher education. I loved being on college campuses, but I was sort of drawn to this story about, oh, I can do both. I can be a lawyer and I can work in higher ed. And I didn't think enough about the richness of the career I was having. And maybe I underappreciated because I wasn't unhappy at 3M. And I underappreciated what an incredible opportunity that was because I was so drawn to the new and I love change. My husband will tell you, I always want to change everything in the house. So, So sometimes I may be too quick to change. Some people talk about being change resistant. So That was a learning of just sit with those decisions a little bit more. And even though I did talk openly with 3M about it and and got their support and got some good counsel, I think in hindsight, it was it was I could have spent a little more time and been a little more honest about, wait, you can't really go backwards and recreate the stuff you liked about the past. You should always really be thinking about what you're looking for in the future. The other thing I would say in hindsight, but it didn't feel this way at the time is nothing is forever. You know, when I was living in that, of course, I was like, oh, what did I do? I had this great job at this wonderful company and I still have a great job, but it's not the right job for me. The the third lesson and I've learned it in all these jobs I've had is make sure you leave well. We all think about onboarding and all the attention we have when we onboard into a new job. But I was, you know, I, I know the university was disappointed that I didn't stay longer, but I really did my best to put everything in order, do really great work when I was there paved the way for a successor, and my successor who who took that job by the way, she stayed there more than 10 years. So, so I feel like I, I did my part to set up that role and, and try to just in that moment, really do my best to finish with integrity, even though I, I did feel like I, I needed to disappoint one employer, In order to go follow what i what i knew would be the the better fit and the better match for for my own career so there were a lot of lessons there
0: kristen thank you again for your vulnerability i give you a heart emoji because i love the fact that you're willing to make it safe to say i made a mistake I also like you, I think I love change. I've owned five homes in 10 years. I love to move, I lived in them all. And sometimes that's not great for my family, my wife or my team members because I don't resist change. I love to self disrupt, I love to change. And that's not always always a great leadership competency. Let's pivot to your role now as Chief People Officer at uh, HP. What are you most focused on in August of 2022? What are the biggest issues you're focused on in this massive organization?
1: Yeah, so it's fascinating, right? So HP is a is a tech company. That's one reason I was interested in in going there. And and yet there's so much similarity in, in what we're focused on, even though in a different sector, and what RIM is focused on, what all large folk companies are focused on. And and I, I think right now it's really on reinventing work. And to some extent, we know the pandemic hasn't gone away, right? And and it, it morphs and it has these dynamics, but Designing how we're all going to work together for long-term sustainability, not for, oh my gosh, we've got to stand up flexible hybrid work arrangements because of the pandemic. And and for HP, what's really fascinating about doing it at HP is this is both um, a, our business, right? We sell printers and PCs and peripherals and laptops and solutions and services. We see a big business opportunity about how to, p- how to help people be effective in hybrid work arrangements and in our company though we know we have to experiment here and and i think what what we've learned maybe many companies have learned this right there's not there's not a go back to the office it's not on this date we're going to do x y and z so we are we are the majority of our employees are in flexible roles but it's very decentralized at the moment we're experimenting a lot in teams and and i think of us as being really an interim state and and we just put together a sub subgroup of the c-suite team that is no longer sort of a covid related subgroup it's a team on the people in work experience at hp and we're going to listen and we're going to learn and we're going to tar- start talking more deliberately about what do people need to be effective in these kind of work arrangements what are in-person you know activities what are remote activities what are the benefits of hybrid work what are the risks of hybrid work how, does it, how do we continue to transmit our culture, which is so important? How do you continue to deliver equitable outcomes at work in a hybrid environment? So there are many things, you know, very complex talent environment, as you know. But I would say that's one we're, we're spending a lot of time on right now.
0: Kristen, let's talk about the multiple generations in the workforce, whether yeah. it's hybrid or, or in-person or some yet-to-be-seen combination for that. Uh, no question, Gen Z is on their way and they're coming into the workforce. Anything HP is doing in particular to prepare your leaders for how they will both onboard and retain this whole new generation with different values and different learning experiences and different professional needs. What are you doing to prepare HP for the future workforce?
1: You know, so it's it's the right question. I, I tend not to use the generational framework um, and and it's, it's partly this make sure you're not falling into stereotypes sure. on any of the generations as you're having these dialogues at, at work. But I, I think the framework, I mean, we are definitely teaching, trying to teach about, you know, what people want today based on our listening. So we have very strong commitment to listening to employees through many different channels. We, You know, not, our surveys, our pulse opportunities, the way we harvest feedback, and, and and we're hearing two things. And then we're trying to support our managers in learning you know, tactics about leading this. The, the two things we're hearing, everybody wants flexibility. So for sure, the newer generation coming in wants flexibility and they're very fluent in digital environments. So they maybe aren't experiencing the same sense of loss, although we do need to support their effective onboarding in these new environments. So everyone's looking for flexibility. People are also looking to connect their personal values and their personal sort of fit with culture with where and how they work. And, and so that's something that's been front and center in HP's culture for a long time. So how do we how do we make sure that we continue to make that present and real for the newer generations that come in? And, and that's a real bridge builder in the culture because HP's had that in its DNA since the company's founding these commitments to inclusion, empowerment, and trust way ahead of its time, quite similar to 3M. In that way and and so it's it's a good sort of generational legacy building common ground about how we teach the culture to each other and 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 how we bring that to the fore for people because it's something that we know is relevant to this generation and we know we're already it's something that's been important at hp for a long time and then of course just tactics we're thinking a lot about the role of managers and what what's the different kind of support that they need to lead in this environment. I, I'd say honestly still a little bit early days on that. And, and we're learning from the, the managers who are, who are getting good at it and, and sharing what they're learning.
0: Christian, uh, take a moment, use me as a student. You very graciously kind of steered me away from what you referred to as perhaps the stereotypes of generations. And I, and I appreciate the way in which you did that. All of us have some level of thinking and stereotypes. None of us want that to be our lens or the mindset through which we lead people. I'm guessing it's a passion of yours, or you wouldn't have brought that up. Take a moment, if you will, I'll give you complete latitude. Talk about, as the chief people officer, how you help leaders at all levels, understand, be self-aware of when our own stereotypes are diminishing people, accidentally, perhaps even intentionally. Me just talking about generations seems like a fairly common nomenclature. Yep. And, I, and you're not calling me out. You did a very gracious no. job. But, but use me as a student to talk about how we as leaders can avoid falling into that trap and the, the obvious diminishing impact it has on people.
1: Yeah, so, and on the generational thing, I'm certainly not trying to incite any, comp, you know, controversy there. I, I, I have one child who's Gen Z and, and one who's millennial, and I certainly sometimes benefit from the, you know, the prototypes for those generations, as long as we don't turn them into stereotypes. My my own thinking on this, Scott, um, you know, honestly, goes way back to when I was in higher education and, and I was the faculty advisor for the Black Liberation Affairs Committee, the Black Student group. And I'm in Minnesota, not a particularly diverse state, uh, in a college that has multiculturalism as a core value. And I I learned, and I worked in a very diverse team, by the way. So we were half people of color on the team, a very unique experience to have in the late 80s and, and early 90s. And I learned a couple of things from that. And this is what I always tell people is, is, you know, listening for me and curiosity is, is where it all starts, and that's where empathy starts. So get curious about the experiences of people who are different than you, and yes, absolutely. Read about generations, read books about different cultures, visit different places, try to have friends from different backgrounds, of course, right? Learn, 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 but, but at least for me, and particularly as I get more and more senior as a leader, try to listen more than you talk. Right. When you're trying to navigate people from different perspectives. And of course, the more recent time that we all learned this and this just supercharged my commitment to this was when George Floyd was murdered. And this happened in my home cities. Right. And and 3M was one of the large employers in town. We had a responsibility to lead and leading within the company started with, as it did at many companies, listening. Right. And creating safe forums for people of color to really candidly talk about the experience they're having in our companies and and not arguing with it, not getting defensive, but just learning to take it in and not going immediately to solutions. We all need to go to solutions. And I, I just find the more that I do that. I, the other example I give is like in your when you're in a global company, at some point, you're going to learn a lesson about u.s centricity (laughs) and what you don't know about other countries and you'll learn it in a hard way because you'll 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 not convey something in the way that you want and really if you listen and you're curious you do a lot of the work yourself by reading and then you you try to do dual mentoring where you're you're sharing and helping but you're also asking for help that's honestly i I think it's a personal journey i think it starts with a personal journey before it starts with policies and process and, and all that stuff so that's that's what it's been for me. And it continues to be something I work on every day. I don't claim to be fantastic at it, but it, it is something I'm passionate about. I do think it's a big key to the future of work, honestly. Uh,
0: beautifully said. I actually enjoyed the, the mentoring there because we all fall into these traps. We all have unconscious biases. We all have prejudices. We all have terms yes. that we might think are normal and standard, but might actually have a diminishing impact. Uh, this next question, Kristen, I don't mean for it to be an either or but I wanna talk about employee retention. To what extent would you say HP and you as the Chief People Officer are obsessed or even focused on building opportunities for employee um, retention, employee loyalty, versus or building processes and systems to accommodate a much more transient workforce. And it might be both. Talk about how HP is dealing with both of those facts.
1: And, and I think it's both, and of course, that's always the answer in these, but, but I do think if you think about HP, we're an 80 year old tech company. Um, we're a company where, where the generation that's retiring now, we have many people that built this company that spent 20, 30, 40 years with the company. and And that was the career model for a long time. And so part of it is just working on what you said, sort of, Look, careers are different. Look at my own career. You know, careers are different and we want to give employees the opportunity to do either of those things. Sometimes we call it school for talent. That's what's what our what our CEO calls it, which is, hey, if you want to come to HP and learn and grow and use us as a launching pad and go do great things somewhere else, we're going to be really proud of you. We're going to claim you as our own. And By the way, we may call you someday and see if you want to come back and If you're someone that would like to have many different career experiences in the same company, I would say, Scott, here's where we really have to work on how do we unlock that for the next generation? Because in the world of work that I grew up in, there's so much personal networking and who you knew, and we were all traveling all the time, and and we all grew up, you know, it was similar stories and and, and stuff in the company. So how do we make it a lot easier for people to access the career growth and career development they want? Because we have the experiences, we have a lot of diversity in our business. We have a lot of geographic diversity, but in a company so big, we're looking at all the tools, you know, that, you know, what are the career marketplace tools, but also even on, on the C-suite team, getting more comfortable with, you know, how you stretch people. How do you think creatively about the win-win, right? Someone has a career goal and you happen to have a need at a point in time. So you're not in a checkbox mentality that everybody has to check 42 boxes before they can do this job. So there's a, That culture and growth mindset of how do you get creative with people about careers there's. How do you unlock opportunities for the people that want to have different career experiences, but there definitely is. uh, How do you, how do you focus on bringing people in, enabling them to be effective for whatever time they want to spend with us. And being proud of the experience you were able to deliver to them and and there's a lot of culture change in there there's also a lot of. Building you know an HR people organization, you know just all the tools and capabilities for that model. Um, and then lining up all the people or stuff, right? Rewards, recognition, compensation, all of those things around these new evolving models. So that's the way we're thinking about it right now.
0: Let's focus our last uh, point here on what is arguably the biggest pivot that everybody faces in their career, or at least almost everyone. And that is the often inevitable move from being an individual contributor to becoming a leader of people. Now I don't personally believe everyone should be, a leader of people. I guess if you worked hard enough you could, but I don't want to be an anesthesiologist and the price I have to pay isn't worth it. As you look at those individuals that are tempted with, sometimes lured even into leading people out of an individual contributor role, and most of us face this opportunity, this pivot in our career, what are the most crucial skills you've learned for someone to successfully transition from being an individual producer contributor to becoming a leader of people?
1: And, and first, first of all is what you said, Scott, is why are you interested in making that leap? And is it just because that's the only path you see to advancement? And I, I'm, I'm lucky, both, both of the companies I spent my time with have nice robust career paths for people who are technical experts, who don't necessarily wanna lead large global teams, but wanna continue to advance and contribute at ever more complex levels. So I do think it starts with asking that, but then it, it is, it is a transition, and and I always, again, gosh, for me, maybe so much of my journey was personal, and everybody else had it figured out. But I think it's for me, it was a personal journey from, I'm I'm getting gold stars for my own performance, right? I'm responsive. I'm learning the business. I'm building good relationships. I'm 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 delivering what I need to when I need to. I'm getting creative. And I'm getting advanced through the organization based on doing those things and based on being unbelievably lucky, by the way, with the mentors and sponsors I had. To now, I I need. It's not about me. It's about helping a team be effective. The that, the mental model I use is coach because I you know I'm sort of interested in in athletics and sort of how am I coaching people and bringing different people together and those are individual relationships and then coaching effectiveness as a team. It's about setting a strategy and a vision. It's about advocating for your people and, and it, it's very different. And I don't think that transition happens at once. I I think you learn that you learn that as you go and you start out a little too focused on you're leading the team and you're excited and you're doing all the stuff, but you're still trying to own the quality of the product to getting comfortable watching teams learn for themselves and coaching, don't jump in and solve things for people, be there to help and remove barriers. And I actually, I actually think it takes quite a long time. I, I think I was really helped in this because I got moved into HR, into such a big job when I didn't have any HR experience. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I couldn't be the superstar individual contributor. So. That you know, I was learning it as I went. With the usual, bigger teams make mistakes, bigger team get better, bigger team get better. But being sort of okay, here we're taking you off the cliff, go jump and lead a big HR team. That forced that for me, and and that's the benefit sometimes of these broadening experiences. Even if you intend to go back to your home base, it really gives you that experience that you you have to figure out different ways to lead, and it, it's not to be underestimated. I think it is. One of the biggest pivots as as your career is going you know through its phases
0: kristen are you seeing anything in terms of the great resignation or the great reevaluation becoming the great return you see you know i guess the press is bored so they're already renaming it You're bored. That. yeah uh, what, what are you seeing in terms of the millions of people that left i'm guessing for the most case they were running to something as opposed to running from something but not always are you seeing the pendulum swing back a bit in terms of HP? What's your prognostication there?
1: Yeah, it's sort of interesting, right? So we're definitely interesting. Like we're seeing engagement within our company is is up. Yeah, not not down on this, this most recent survey. And, and someone explained to me that you know when you're in a, a downturn, I should be thinking about the benefit of big, more more stable companies that offer all these different ways to have a career. Has a new maybe a new appeal. Um, we're, we're certainly, we're not, you know, our, our attrition has leveled off and it never sort of skyrocketed. So we weren't doing the hand-wringing thing about, oh my God, everybody's leaving. And I would say right now, we're not seeing any major issue either that suddenly there's a swing back the other way. We definitely hear from some people who have left that, that are kind of like, ah, you know, I sort of got these things that I wanted, but boy, it's making me better appreciate HP and of course we want to stay in touch with those folks and my own career you know has been a chapter in that i i, I think it's natural and healthy honestly i i and I, I think about my kids a lot they're they're in their 20s both but i want them to be thoughtful and intentional about their careers and if that means that they're going to do a little experimenting and this is where you know it's not just start well but leave well i i think it's okay and i think for all of us as employers getting used to this and, and supporting this you know, this move toward worker empowerment, which we're seeing in, in so many different dimensions is look, if we're about social responsibility, this is a good thing. Um, so how do we, you know, become a place that people wanna be at, you know, and, and get ourselves in that mindset, even if, you know, the, the pendulum swings a little back. And, and then my last prognostication is, look, you know, we, we talked about war for talent forever, and then we said the war for talent's over because the talent won. But the work for talent is still out there. There's still skills shortages. There's still all kinds of reasons to believe that people will be mobile because they're going to be able to test their skills, at least people that are in certain highly skilled you know, uh, professions where there's still an undersupply. And we're all getting creative about how we think about that in our companies. So so I don't know. I, I share your sort of view about you know, don't get caught up either in the great resignation or the great return. I do think there's maybe a bit of a reset that's been going on, but, but I, I find it a bit healthy.
0: Christian, Ludgate, it is very clear why you are the chief people officer at HP. (laughs) Uh, Get ready for your LinkedIn to blow up as other companies want to hire you to lead their culture as well. Anyway, thank you for your time today. Appreciate you joining us.
1: Thank you, Scott. It's been a pleasure. I really enjoyed it.
0: And we'll see you back here next week for a new conversation from the C-suite.